Dear listeners, welcome to another, um, I always say exciting, I, that's because I get excited when I'm making them, but I think they're exciting episodes of the Madam's Cast, certainly interesting, we've got interesting people to talk to, as usual, uh, and in this particular episode, I have the fantastic Lucy Grazier, um, who I've actually known for quite a while, but is so enigmatic, I'm never quite sure that I do know her, so I'm excited to have her on the podcast, get to know her a little bit better, and introduce her to you so that you can hear about not only her new book, but all the other brilliant things she's up to, and more importantly, the things that she would like to change about the world of food. Lucy, are you there? I am here, Tim. I'm here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my goodness. You're, you're so totally welcome. I'm, so, I'm just delighted when people want to come and say hi. I mean, that's, that's just brilliant as far as I'm concerned. And I'm really excited to talk to you, um, partly because I'm holding in my hand a very shiny... Um, silver bauble bedecked beauty of a of a new book <laughs> i think that might be mine i think you might oh. have mine there oh my goodness that is exciting it has got your name on it oh the, i think um, it, i think it might be mine then oh <laughs> have you recently released a book do you know it's <laughs> funny you should ask but uh, i have i've i've written christmas at river cottage so um yes i think that may be the one you've got it is and it's do you know it's a beautiful book and thank you I really yeah I really like it and what I what I like about it I think the most is that you could by no means would you want to take River Cottage off it that's not what I'm saying at all but actually you know what it is going to be because or, or roughly what it's going to be although it's full of surprises because it says Christmas at River Cottage on it mm. but if it just said a nice relaxed enjoyable and valuable worthwhile Christmas I mean she's a slightly less snappy title (laughs) (laughs) then you know it works it works (laughs) then you'd be you'd be safe and happy to to wander through it it it's it's sort of a joy it catches the eye and and, and it drags you through and there's not a single sort of Christmas cliche either which is quite nice it's about all the things that I really like Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's the thing about Christmas books, generally cookbooks that, um, you know, I've got some, I've got some brilliant ones on my shelf. And in writing my own, I was really concerned about falling into the cliches and also um, copying things that the, the greater people had done before me. So it was trying to, it was, it was trying to think about what my Christmas is, what the River Cottage Christmas is. And in many senses, they're very similar because I've worked with River Cottage for 16 years. So oh, sh- sh- don't mention that. Don't mention, you must have started when you were incredibly young, Lucy. <laughs> were you on work experience? I was 12. I was 12. <laughs> it was in the school holidays. It was in the school holidays. Um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, it's it's lovely to to hear you say that about it because um, uh, it's, it's, it's just fantastic to have feedback and know that, that, that I've got a few things right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sneaky back. Back, uh, background character, aren't I? So I know that you've got, shall we say, some experience and talent when it comes to creating beautiful books. And um, what I like with any book is when I find something that makes me go, oh yeah, that's oh, that's interesting. I'm a sort of reasonably well-navigated food traveller, if you like. I've, mm-hmm. I've meandered down the odd pathway from time to time. And what I really like, uh, it's something that Mark Diacono does with his books very well as well, is to sort of come up things that sort of rein me up a bit short and make me go, oh, hello, that's interesting. 
And I think the ginger, I'm not going to say it right, the ginger, ginger schwitzel, is that what it's called? The, the, the schwitzel, yeah, I know. It, it, it's, um, uh, the schwitzel is, is fantastic and it's a, it's a very old recipe. It's a very, yeah, did you say it was the haymaker's draft or something? Haymaker's punch. So it was a sort oh, of, um, uh, you know, it was a, when, when they had a thirst on. And it, it it has because of the sort of slight vinegary hit as well. It does it does do something when you drink it. There's there's something very satisfying about it. Um, but because it has this slight kick to it, it's also a, a a great thing to have instead of alcohol. You know, it's it also has that has that sort of element to it as well. So um, I love recipes that that have a few different uses depending on when you're eating or drinking them. Yeah, yeah, so do I. And, you know, little flavour combinations like vinegar and ginger. I just thought, oh, yeah, hello. Mm. I like the idea of that. Just mm. something about it is resonant. So I'm going to have, I'm definitely going to have a go at, at making some of that. Whether or not I'll keep it entirely um, entirely virtuous or not is a different matter. But you, we'll don't see how we go. you don't, I don't have no, to. You don't have to. No, I know. <laughs> you can just do a little slug of vodka and it works really, really well. Oh, okay. Okay, good, good. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. So, so that was one thing that caught my eye, and I have to say, it's beautiful. Anybody out there in the market for a new Christmas book, or actually looking for a really thoughtful gift, because there's a lot in here. It's not just. There's quite a lot of. I hope you don't mind me saying. It's quite a lot of nice, thoughtful opinion and attempts to sort of grasp a moment and a, a feeling and a value that. I really enjoy. There's a lot more here than a foodie book, if that makes sense. That, I, I think I think it's because I'm, um, it, in part, because I'm not a chef, I'm not a trained chef. For me, the food at Christmas, the food is is really important. But it, but I also, um, I also know how hard it is as you get older and you have children and, and everyone's working and to actually stop and enjoy the magic of it. And mm. for me, I've always, you know, I've always tried to find that every year in whatever way to feel, to, to have that sort of feel of, of the spirit of it that, that was so easy to have when you were five and ten and you know it was so easy if you if you were lucky like me to have a you know a great childhood and, and a um and a mother who loved Christmas too then then there, that it was just it was an exciting time and I I think we need a bit of that and it doesn't have to be hard work to get there it just has to be a moment just has to be a something so I wanted to try and put that in the book and and say how how easy that could be to find um without well, stressing people out by saying and by the way if you haven't made your such and such by now then you know <laughs> so I have a simple rule we have a very simple rule in my house uh, anyone caught stressing out on Christmas Day gets trouble. They're in trouble immediately. <laughs> and the other thing is, we don't know what we're going to have for lunch, which is always in the middle of the afternoon. We don't know what we're going to have until we get there because I haven't made up my mind yet and I'm cooking it. That, so shut up, you lot. That's so interesting because because actually that's the one that's the one meal for us that's always pretty much the same because of the mix of the mix of ages that we've got around the table and um mm -hmm. and the safety that comes with it and I don't know if I could I don't know if I could do that is that what you do you enjoy being impromptu about it is that part of the delight of it 
It's not entirely. Hang on a minute. I'm interviewing you. It's. Um, no, I know. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm really interested because I, because having written this book, I, I genuinely am really interested in how other people do it because this is just okay, how okay. I do it, and River Cottage does it. But you know. Right. Well, then. Um, so Christmas Day for me, generally, uh, it was going to be different. Obviously, now we've moved to the other end of yes. the kingdom. Um, but previous years, uh, lockdowns notwithstanding, we've been with friends. We always do sort of friends at Christmas. Uh, rather than, you know, too much family, because uh, we just prefer to do that, maybe mm-hmm. because we're selfish, horrible people, I don't know. But we, we like to do that. And so we would always start with at least two to three hours of drinks and nibbles. And and I will sort of spend a couple of weeks in the run-up to Christmas gathering a few bits and pieces that I like the look of. There might be some pheasants, there might be some pigeon, there might be this, that, the other, um, and some nice cheese, and I'll get all sort of all overexcited and buy some smoked halibut or, you know, oh, whoops, I've ordered some truffles, that, you know, that kind right. of, like, oh, good night, oh, yeah, and I don't yeah. know exactly how they're all going to happen together on Christmas Day, but we get there, and then yeah. we normally do this in partnership with another family, and they would, you know, they, they play a very, very strong game on their Christmas food as well. Oh, so there's and a little bit of competition. No, 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 it's not competition, it's more like an orchestra, Oh, playing together occasionally, like a slightly tiddled jazz orchestra. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite. Definitely more of an orchestra. Um, yeah, and so we'll end up with you know, I mean, Billy's roast potatoes. Billy, you don't need your, your name shouting. We all know who you are if you're listening. Uh, the finest roast potatoes in the land. Um, I'm going to finish up on your book now, just by taking you back with all the lovely things that you said. Um, and I would just like to thank your parents. I see you've dedicated the book to them. Yes. But I'd like to thank them for teaching you the meaning of celebration because it echoes through this whole book and it's a joy. Um, thank so, you. so thanks for thanks for sending that over for me to have a look at. And thanks for sending me a copy after I'd already bought one, which means that someone else is going to get it for Christmas. Yay! Which is a result. <laughs> Yay! Spread the love. Spread the Christmas yeah. love. Yeah, I used to... It's a funny one, isn't it, Christmas? I used to... I have a reputation in my family for being very anti-Christmas. Um, you know, a bit bar humbug, a bit grinchy. And this was all basically because I was a chef for a very long time. Yes. And Christmas is miserable yeah. when you're a chef. It's two weeks of hard work followed yeah. by one day off, followed by two weeks of trying to make everything work when everyone's having a good time and you're not. Mm. And the fridge is empty because no one will deliver anything. Mm. So it's just, it's taken me a while and, and a couple of kids to kind of re-embrace the joy of Christmas. But I'm there now. I'm there, and I feel you know I'm now fully propped up by your book too. So I'm, I am excited and looking forward to Christmas this year. No, I can completely see from from your, you know, from your past and 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 other people, you know, other people's jobs as well. People working on Christmas yeah. Day, or you know, yeah. I think it's it, it's um it, it's very yeah. I mean, I, I have to I have to be honest. What you know, my career choices have often been around whether I can get Christmas off or not. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love your priorities. I wish I'd been possessed of so much self-understanding when I was um, uh, when I was younger. Right. Okay. Now, in th- uh, we're in danger of turning this into a I Love Lucy's new book fest. We mustn't, we <laughs> yeah, mustn't let's not do, do that. that. Let's talk well, about we the can, real issues. We can recap that later because I, 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 I do look forward to it. Um, but uh, what we're in, I'm in danger of doing, because I know you, is not giving everyone a, a rough... So could you give us a sort of short synopsis of who you are and how you've got to where you are and why I'm chatting to you? Yes, OK. I um, 
am a writer, predominantly a food writer, but I do write other things as well. And um, I started, um, well, before before River Cottage, I was an agent, so I looked after actors and presenters. And uh, I had a list of clients, and I did actually write for some of those clients. And then I um, decided I had a child and did that cliche thing of thinking, I don't think I can do this job and have a child and live in London. And so I decided to, I needed to get out. And it just coincided with meeting Hugh through a mutual friend. And um, he said, well, why don't you come down to River Cottage and work with us for a bit? So so I did. And, and so I went into a... Um, a similar media world in one sense because River Cottage, the telly shows and the books. and But I also got to learn a lot of other things, including, most importantly, food. And and I was there for a long time. I've been there. I, I've, uh, in the last few years, I've done a lot of writing for them. And I teach a Christmas hamper course, a sort of edible gifts course. Um, and uh, I also um, write for other people as well. So that's my <gasps> background. That's so cool. I think the ghostwriter thing is something we just, I mean, I, is that is that the correct term? It is, yes. Yeah, if you're not credited for it directly, you're a ghostwriter for somebody that's else. That's right. Yeah, I that's right. It's, um, you have to read quite a lot of books. Uh, sometimes I do a bit of um, a bit of judging for for book awards. I don't know why. I must have you know one of those where you're copying and pasting an email list and someone ends up on the wrong list. <laughs> I think it, it must have been one of those. Um, and so I get I'm on that and I get that. And sometimes you'd be reading about someone you've not really heard of, or it's quite and you'd be like, this sounds just like the book that and you sort of go scurrying off through a pile of books and they're by completely different people and you're like, this is a bit you know. And I wonder if sometimes when you've read enough, you can start to see the influence of the ghosts behind the souls at the front of the book it, well, um, it, but I suppose the clever bit is that you have to write not like that that you're writing you know with the voice of the person that you're trying to write for you know if you're if you're if you're good enough yes mm. you know it's a it's a it's a tricky balance and um it you know and I love it because it teaches me more about writing and book structure and you know all of those things that mm. that come with it and also that I get I have this really privileged window of time with someone and this opportunity to to find out about their life or whether it's a particular passion of theirs that we're writing about or whether it's a memoir or um I get to spend that time with them and you know I always say they're the author I'm the writer but they are the author of the book and what they want to say and what they need to say um is is what we do so it's you know it, it really isn't about me and um uh, and it's a and it is a great privilege to to be part of that. Amazing, cool. Um, and then I suppose that you're sort of contractually obliged not to mention uh, who you've written them I for, know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> which would kill me because I mean, I, at the end of all that, I'd be like, I just want a tiny slice of the glory cake, not all of I mean, it, just a little bit. It's tricky because it's a sort of cul-de-sac of a conversation because yeah, yeah. I, I can't I can't say and and um, don't worry don't worry I'm going to turn around and march straight back yeah, out of it I sorry. was just I was just checking <laughs> we weren't going to get any sort of I uh, didn't want the madam's cast getting sued for accidentally um, breaching a contract somewhere so that's that's good I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's yeah yeah, yeah yeah um, right Lucy that has brought us I think we've all got a really nice image in our heads now of of who you are roughly and where you've got to and all of that stuff in there so. 
uh, can we can we now populate that caricature with some speech bubbles of the things you would like to change in the world of food? So obviously you are an avid listener of the Madam's Cast. You've been there since the early days. You know full well that you I get a magic it. I button. love it. And, yeah. and you. Oh, so I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to add You're my ready. voice. You're completely ready. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, in which case, in which case, Lucy, uh, let's have an imaginary drum roll. What is the first thing that you would change about the world of food? The first thing is the use of foams in food. Foam, foam in food is, is one of my, um, I hate the look, I hate the sort of texture of it. Um, I think I don't I don't really see the point of it I'm not a um I don't I don't cook that way and I wouldn't choose to eat somewhere that that had that sort of menu um but I think for me part of it is that I just don't I I I don't it doesn't the foams don't appeal to me but I think it's also what it represents in the restaurant world and um, if I see a foam, I sort of just want to walk away from the whole menu or the restaurant or that because I, I, I'm just not sure why you would have it. Um, I think I'm using it as a scapegoat, really. I think I'm using foam as a scapegoat for, for that sort of style of cooking. Yeah, the modernist uh, cuisine portfolio folk. Um, so there's... This is something I'm going to have to bring in um, uh, Caroline, my dearly beloved, on this one, because foams, I, I sort of never really understood them. I got that you could make them. And if it was tasted nice and it was another texture, I was like, yeah, OK, that's fine. It's not really my thing. But if you want to do that, you can do that. I get it. Um, and Caroline, the first time I took her out for dinner somewhere where there was a foam on the menu, she said, oh, I don't want the foam. It always looks like spit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went... There we go. That's na- that's that's nailed the uneasiness I had about foams. I now realise um, where it was where it was yeah. coming from. It looks like somebody's gobbed on your dinner. So um, have you ever ma- have that. you ever made one? Yeah, I, I used to. So uh, oh goodness, hang on. Let me just reel back through the. I mean, um, how how hard are they to make? Because I feel like I'm being really damning of something that that could be a real craft. No, they're pretty easy to make. To okay. uh, we used to do this one uh, with sort of mushroom foam that went with a scallop dish that we used to do at One Aldrich, I think. And that was a sort of mushroom velouté, which we put a little tiny bit of, I think, xanthan gum or something in it. And then we just whipped it up with a blender. Right. So what it, so it wasn't, if you like, you know, it was in and you hadn't whipped it up, but you just had this sort of lovely mushroomy, buttery... Sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, eh? It was really tasty <laughs> until you whipped it up, and then it just tasted of air. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I look, look. I mean, I'm not the gatekeeper of f- some sort of foodie version of Room One Hundred One. I'm not going to sort of advocate for foam if you're against it. Yeah. Whole point of view: being able to choose things that you change the world of food. I suppose if I was being really technically difficult, I might say, well, hold on. What about a meringue? Oh, that's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Because like an Italian meringue, yes. I mean, that's, you know, if we're going to say that a dry meringue is no longer a foam because it's a sort of crumble texture thing, yes. that's fine. But a wet meringue, you know, an Italian meringue sort of scenario. Yes, no, you're absolutely my... right. And I love it. You know, I I, I would, yeah, I would happily order, um, oh, yes, I hadn't thought about that. Well done. Okay, so if we're going to be pedantic then, we say 
hot savoury foams. Yes. Get you, get, get you hence to Mantua. <laughs> you are you are henceforth banishing. We're ban- we're that, banishing those. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. I mean, that's that's that that is a, one at the same time one of the most brilliant things to get rid of from the world of food, and yet at the same time one of the 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 least considered. I've never. I've, I, We've had a few people try and get him. Someone tried to get rid of a Mars bar once, I think. But mostly, mostly we get quite a lot of highbrow sort of answers. And I'm loving the fact that you've just gone, right, foam, I'll get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, and I've heard sort of different, and I'm thinking that, you know, that sort of whether I go down a sort of sustainable environmental route or, you know, if I I just thought, what what comes into my head? You know, when I I hear, when I hear your podcast and when I think about what, what, you know, actually it's, it's, um, I suppose, in a way, everything I've chosen is about fine dining, is connected to fine dining. So maybe that is my, you know, I think as I get older, I get simpler in all sorts of ways. And I think that with food, definitely. With food, I, you know, I, and, and that, that sort of ties in with, the, with, my next, with my next choice as well. Yeah, interesting. I'm sort of with you on that. I think I got this, I definitely probably am more in my pre uh pre river cottage uh days as a cook before i i landed down in mm. devon and dorset with you lot mm. was um i was probably a bit more inclined to you know be distracted by the fancies on display and uh, and have a look at them but all the way through my career i found myself going back to work for people you know that weren't about that and mm. I, i've definitely always felt happier there and much more content with what we're producing so i think it's you're sort of if we take foam as a talisman of you know food that's not quite genuine yeah and is trying to hide somewhere um then i'm i'm totally with you because i'm all for genuine food and and actually I'd, i'd rather if something's really rather an average meal i mean that's okay i can cope with the fact that you've gone out and bought an average meal you know i can we've all had to live with that but don't try and tart it up, no, because it, it's that's just making it worse. With a bit of quite skit. frankly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. And also, you know, if you're at home, and I mean, I know it's slightly different from you because you're you're an incredible chef. But you know, if I'm at home and I'm cooking, the last thing I want to do is spend time on those final details, turning them into something that you know gives it that sort of restaurant finish or that when actually you could have taken two steps back in the process and still got the same flavor yeah I'll probably be shouted at by everyone who loves them now but um but I I wouldn't do it you know I think that's the other thing there are certain things you think I'm going to I'm going to order this in a restaurant because I would never do this at home and this is fantastic. This is why I eat out because, you know, the, the experts are feeding me and that's great. And then there are other things I think well, I really want to try this at home. I want to go home and copy it and try and find my own version of it. But, you know, with foam, you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't bother. No, I think we'll leave it for the fire extinguisher um, and, and stick with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the only place that foam has in any kitchen of mine. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> Unless it's a sweet foam made from whipped egg whites, in which case. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're going to let that stay. Yeah. yeah Cause I, fine, I didn't fine. think about that and you're absolutely No, fine. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, going to go item number one, foam brackets, warm, savory. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let, that we'll, we'll, we'll sign that one off. Okay. We've nailed that. And that's fantastic. 
Oh, and there was more to it than I thought as well. I knew you were going to do this. It's not as simple as saying foam. It's yeah. about the. It's about using <laughs> it's the tassels and the. Yeah. I mean, one of my. I don't know if you'll remember young George, who used to be a sous chef for me when I was at the canteen with you guys. Um, and he was. He had a bit of a. He's a very very talented chef. He's now in London doing amazing things, obviously. And he was a bit more sort of uh, on the penchant for that kind of sort of next extra garnish thing. Um, and I always used to say one of my things was look, you know, if it looks like a pig's ear, it looks like a pig's ear. You can't yeah. polish a turd. Yeah. And his answer would always be no, but you can roll it in glitter. So yeah. I think <laughs> I think there is a time. I think there is a time for a bit of glitter rolling. Um, but it's it should only be when the thing that's worth glittering is yeah, already, yeah. you know is already worthy. Right, I'm going to move on to point two. Otherwise, I'm going to go round and round and round on point one because I like it so much. So, um, Lucy, what is the second thing you would change about the world of food? Um, I would change the extravagance uh, behind some of the um, some of the well gosh I think about how to describe it I think this came from uh an article and and all the press hype around the this place Salt Bay in London and this chef who's uh, got this incredibly expensive piece of meat and then coated it in gold and uh is is serving it to um people who I believe pay 800 pounds for a slice of it or a um a helping of it and and I, and and I know that that most of the food industry is sort of horrified by it quite rightly, and it feels a sort of ridiculous thing. And again, this is an example of a um, of something that's overly theatrical. And and I suppose what we call concept cooking. So you know, it costs a lot, but actually, what's it really delivering? Um, and and I struggle with that a lot and it sort of ties into the first thing about wanting something that's more simplistic wanting to eat sustainably um you know i i don't want high concept no no i i think that's i think that's okay for you not to want that i have to say um you know once again all the pr for this fancy restaurant doing golden meat at 800 pounds a slice has somehow got straight past me um, and I haven't, <laughs> haven't heard anything about it at all. What what sort of do you know what sort of meat it is that they're covering um, in gold? Do you know I I can't remember what it is. Um, I mean it's an it, it it's it's a it's a cut of beef, a very expensive. Right. I don't think it's a wagyu. I can't I can't honestly remember. I should have looked at that. Um, it just I just saw a picture of the chef holding it up and it was gold, and <laughs> you know and I thought this is ridiculous. And then I saw lots of other foodie people saying, this is ridiculous. And, um, and you know, it, it, nobody should be paying that, that much money for, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's crazy. And go and have a really good meal somewhere else and yes. then give the same amount of money to charity. Exactly. Why not? Oh goodness. That's a bit preachy. I shouldn't say that. No, no. But gold you know, beef, gold beef is a, is a um, there's actually, there's a, sorry, Lucy, go on. What no, it's, it's, it is exactly that, you know, have a lovely dinner. And if you've got that money, pay for four other people to have a lovely dinner. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, who, who might not normally 
be able to afford to have a lovely dinner. So it just it feels like we've stepped into something. And I know it's quite, you know, it's a, it's the theatre of it and there's the concept behind it. And, you know, I, I know all of those things, but I think there has to be a line where, where we still, where we can say, yes, but, you know, £800. It's also a bit naughty because there's a really good thing. Uh, have you ever been to Sweden? No. Oh, okay. Well, uh, in in Stockholm, they have a couple of amazing food markets, which are sort of under. You go down. Uh, there used to be stairs. I think they're escalators now. But you go down into the food market, and you can almost sort of you can feel your bank account draining as you <laughs> as you sort of wander through. Um, but once you've sort of um, got over the shock of that, and you've eaten a few oysters and had a glass of something to to sort of soften the blow, you go and sort of peruse the butcher's counters, and they do a beef there which I think it might be rib, but I think in my head it's sirloin, whole entrecote, you know, strip loin. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they age that. And then once they've dry aged it, as much as they think they can really get away with, they cut all the fat and all the aging off the outside, all the dried meat. They render the fat down, turn it into a liquid and paint it onto this now completely seamless piece of single muscle from the back of a cow. And then they paint this fat back onto it this golden beef fat back onto it and they do that until they've got a good layer of that all the way around it and then they um they then leave it for a bit longer and age it without any air uh in a sort of anaerobic fashion if you like right so you get this you get this incredibly well hung very very soft butter like beef which is is vastly expensive but it's not it's not 800 pounds of yeah, slice. yeah yeah and it actually represents a brilliant thing you know they're preserving the best part of the animal to have you know, they're, they're showing an immense amount of respect for yes, that creature absolutely. and the it's understanding. Of, yeah, yeah, that's that's a bit different to rubbing it with a bit of gold leaf and going, "Come on, Dave, it's eight hundred quid." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and so I, mean, I, like, I of, might be doing, you know, I might be doing a disservice to to that process. I, you know, it, it may well be um, that there is a lot to that process before it gets coated in gold, and um, and it may taste amazing, but you know, but personally. It's it's not something I want to eat, even if I had that much money to to spend. I, you know, I don't I, I don't think it's um, it, you know it doesn't it doesn't sit with the world as it is now. It doesn't feel it feels like we're back in the eighties. Yeah, um, and yeah. we're going in there with wearing big shoulder pads and um, <laughs> and, and and mobile phone bricks. And uh, talking about our, you know, mortgages. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I don't. Know. Now there is something that needs a bit of gold paint. Yeah, um, well, that's yeah, that's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I think right. Last point on this for me would be, uh, for just purely from that sort of tuning it right back to the palette mm -hmm. experience. Forget the cost. Forget the drama around it. I have never in my life asked myself the question, mm, do you know what I fancy tonight? <laughs> and come up with the answer, I fancy a bit of gold. It's funny, isn't it? Because, it, you know, I think about you on Christmas morning with all your delicious ingredients. And uh, I bet there isn't any gold leaf in amongst all those delicious things. No, no. there might be a bit of tin foil. No, it's funny that, isn't it? That would be about it. That would be about it. Um, right, no, there you go. Okay, yeah, so that's a definite as well. Unnecessarily theatrical, low-fold mm. nonsense mm. is definitely not for us. I sort of, I guess the mitigation is, if you can if you can sell the Emperor some new clothes and get away with it for a bit, I sort of 
respect you on a commercial, brazen, long-necked kind of brutal front. Right. But I'm not. Yes. I'm not. I'm not going out of my way to go and sample it. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, I probably. I, I know what you're saying. Probably be an option soon in uh, in the street. You know, tasty shops. You'll go in. You'll go. Oh yeah, I love cheese and ham. Um, watercress, please, with a bit of chutney. And uh, gold leaf, sir? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Gold leaf <laughs> on the side. I have my gold leaf on the side. Yeah. Um, yeah I like it quite thin, my gold leaf. <laughs> <laughs> I only like it really crispy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Is it sustainable? Uh, Which gold mine has it come from? Oh, my God, that's another whole layer. Yes. I, I mean, mineral, I've never for a moment begun to consider. I mean, you know, is it a byproduct of a cobalt mine in North Africa where someone's had to sort of go down a hole as a child to drag out some new fuel cells for someone's latest electric car? And they're just they're rinsing the gold off them at night going, oh, get this gold off me. I'm fed up with it. It's a byproduct. And that was when they had the idea, let's turn it into leaf and flog it to this guy in London. It's it's the whole thing is a is a minefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. You're right. I, I, I think that's a really good reason for us to leave it where it is. Yeah, I think that. Uh, and <laughs> and segue seamlessly into the third and final thing that today you're allowed to change about the world of food. Um, I, I, can I just? What are we going to call point two? Are we just going to call it unnecessary gold leaf? I think we could call it that. I mean, I think we could. I mean, I suppose it could be concept cookery as a sort of sideline. But actually, I, I like the idea that we really that we because in fact, you know, you do occasionally get gold leaf on cakes and um, and other things as well. And I wouldn't want that either. So so yeah, unnecessary unnecessary gold leaf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, luckily. Uh, luckily, we don't need to worry about our gold reserves anymore. Otherwise, we'd be eroding those as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Well, that's 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 handy. Um, gold leaf is consigned to the old world, and we're in the brave new world, which doesn't contain any foams or sorry brackets warm savoury foams <laughs> um, or unnecessary gold leaf brackets concept <laughs> cookery close brackets. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, so we're. I mean, we're. What we're not doing here is mincing our words. Um, we're, 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 getting, we're getting some very strong choices from you here, Lucy. And I'm wondering how on earth um, the, the Emperor's New Clothes merchants of the food world of the big city are going to survive if point number three is also against them. But I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Come on. Yes. OK, well, this is, I mean, this is very much my own personal opinion, but I don't... Um... I don't, as a rule, like sea salt in sweet things. Uh, or uh, probably more importantly, on sweet things. There seems to be a lot of uh, a, a liberal scatterings of sea salt on lots of things um, that possibly doesn't need it. And I, and I think there's always, uh, with most things, a little bit of salt to enhance the flavour um, is... Is crucial in in so many recipes. So this is not a this is a very specific moan about too much sea salt on my chocolate fudge, maybe, or too much sea salt on the chocolate cookies, um, or um, 
yes, so I'm sort of thinking about about where that pops up and how much is used. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, okay. I see where you're going with this. Now, having followed your Instagram pages for a few years, I'm going to have to just quickly caveat off one potential reason for this, okay? Mm. Is it that you are already so culted, so coated in uh, sea salt crystals from your early mornings? <laughs> That, that everything you taste that has sea salt in it, you go, hang on a minute, this has got far too much sea salt in it, for God's sake. I and actually, it's just, it's just you, yeah. you're covered in sea salt and everything you touch gets salty. Is that, I, is do that- you know, that's a, I, that could well be it, that maybe it's just pushed me over an edge. And, and, it, and when I come back in the morning, I, yeah, I've had my sea salt hit. So if it appears on anything else during the day, um, it's too much for me to take. That's it. That you're, that you're... could well, yeah, that could well be it. Um, that's very funny. I hadn't thought about that actually. But I, I, um, I think, um, I think you know, this is something. This is another part of it that um, I know you you consider as well is the the different sea salts and and the you know and, and how many different brands there are out there. But there are a couple that tend to um, tend to be the most popular. And uh, and others don't get a look in, and and I think that's a that's a really good point to make as well. Yeah, it's a bit saltist, isn't it? It's a I bit think saltist. I like the idea of having some nice sea salt from let's. I mean, let's just say you were in Kent, for example. Um, some nice sea salt from nearby somewhere in Kent would be a nice thing. Yes. Um, and you know, there's definitely a place in most people's kitchen for a crunchy, flaky salt of some sort. That might be Molden, it might be Cornish, it might be Blackthorn, it might be from the Isle of Skye. I don't know, but I feel duty bound to try and choose the one that's geographically most local to where I'm likely yeah. to be cooking. Um, although, of course, I might have a pot of Cornish sea salt and then travel from Cornwall. So, so I don't want to get too policey about the geographic no. location of your sea salt, but I'm sort of, I am with you on that. There's no point in having a nice artisan sea salt if it's from further away from yeah. you than, than yeah. anything else could possibly be. Um, uh, and I've got, I'm going to see if I can change your point into my point here. I do this sometimes. I try and steal people's things they want to change. <laughs> so you have to watch out that I don't just get, give you, um, give it, give it some uh, my own spin. But here's the thing. Um, things... So, an absolute classic bit of Madam's failing to steer the desk properly and holding the recording, uh, followed by a bit of potential for the postman arriving at the other end, which results in this slightly unfortunate, um, yet entirely predictable, lapse in concentration gap in the middle of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, a little bit of music on the way in, a bit on the way out, and uh, we'll rejoin the conversation. You there? I'm here, yeah. So you you potentially got interrupted by the postman. I accidentally somehow managed to stop the recording. You know these things. These things happen. You know, uh, we're at our kitchen tables. These things happen. Well, actually, I'm at my wife's dressing table because Caroline is downstairs doing important governmental business um, remotely via the internet down there. So I've secluded myself up here in the bedroom, which is. um, uh, it's, it's uh, do you know, it's slightly unusual for me to be at a dressing table. But anyway, here I am, <laughs> and we're back. We're back in the recording, and everything's rolling along swimmingly. So that's that's great. Um, 
So I was I was just about to go off on one about food being more processed than sometimes it looks. And the, in, I've got this theory that sugar and salt remain pretty constant. Um, they're future traded things. You can you can predict a long way into the future how much they're going to cost you if you're a manufacturer. Yes. They're also both preservatives. So the more of them that you put into each thing, the longer the shelf life you'll get on it at an ambient uh, mm. serve. Mm. And then the third, um, the third point with it is that they cancel each other out. So the more of each you can put in. Um, now, I've often felt that this is some kind of dark food processing overlords way of getting us to eat too much salt and sugar by cancelling them out with each other. And if you're not careful, you don't realise how much there is in something. At the same time, allowing themselves this wonderful playground where they get to use the cheapest possible ingredients and have a nice long shelf life on their product. Yes. So I, I think there is, I feel like there's a, a sort of uh, a dark presence um, trying always to get more salt and sugar into things. But I'm not sure that that's why there's too much. Because like you say, a little bit of salt in some caramel. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It is, but I, but it, but it does, but it's very hard to get that balance. And I think people sort of are, are too liberal with it now because everyone says, "Oh, salty caramel," and "Oh, you know," it, it, it sort of, it sort of appeals to people, and then it feels like everyone's, everyone's doing it, and and maybe putting in more than they need to, or maybe that point of, um, particularly with processed foods that then scatter sea salt over the top, you know, maybe that is what pushes it over the edge. That in fact, if it wasn't, if it didn't contain it and you put it on top, then that would be a really good balance. But because it's already in it, uh, it, it just, it, it takes it somewhere that's, that for me is really unenjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, too much salt, it doesn't matter actually where it is. Um, often mm. too much salt is too much salt and um we've all done it we've all overcured something uh we've all put slightly too much salt on something and gone, yes oh, yeah ah oh, there's a limit and, and and also i think salt is a bit like sugar again it's one of those things that your palate reacts to um and becomes slightly addicted to so a lot of chefs are very good at, at seasoning stuff quite highly uh because they're so used to that salty hit that they need mm. a little bit more a little bit more salt all the time to get it and so these these salt type things when you're occurring finding them are these occurring in sort of things you've bought or things that are served in restaurants to you well a bit of both i mean i wouldn't, oh, okay. I wouldn't choose to buy a sea salted anything and i think right. that's why i've put this on my list because okay. it because i i would absolutely not buy it go it be in a cake shop or um uh, we have a lovely local fudge shop near us and uh, they're fantastic and they do a lot of different fudges and there is a sea spray there's a sea spray fudge and and everyone loves it but i but i can't it you know it, it's it that i wouldn't ever buy that so i think it's probably i think it is much a, much more of a personal uh thing for me than it is um okay Okay. Can we give the can we give the fudge shop a plug if we like them? Because I you know, this is a very open church here. If you've got a fudge shop uh near you that's good, I think you should just tell everyone. Yes, they cool. oh, well they're in Lyme Regis. Um, oh no, in fact no, because I'm completely anti Lyme Regis, so I'm banning <laughs> them now. Uh <laughs> Quite frankly, rather gouge my eyes out with a rusty spoon than spend any time in Lyme Regis, apart from between October and March. Yes. In which case I'm quite happy to go to Lyme Regis as long as I don't have to fight my way in 
uh, past everybody else. Well, you just go very early or very late. Okay. You get the beginning of the day, the end of the day. Yeah, 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 got you. Okay, so I'm not sure I realised what they were. So what are they called, the fudge shop, in case um, I'm forced at gunpoint back to Lyme Regis? I think, <laughs> yes, I think, um, I can't remember the name. It's the, the, uh, it's, I think it's the Lyme Regis fudge shop or just the fudge shop and okay well the, i mean fans of lime regis i'm sure will be they calling in but it's uh, not it's not the one opposite that's part of a chain oh absolutely oh, not that complicated, one complicated okay it's okay. not that one it's All not right. the one where they show you how they make the fudge in the window it's, we'll send them a sticker we'll send a sticker to the right one to say as great. featured on the madam's cast great. and then that will just, that'll just baffle everyone it's got a very sweet <laughs> little bay window and um it's it's a it's the fudge shop on the sea but okay. it's virtually on the sea so all right um so yes so i'm glad that my negativity about sea salt has ended in something positive <laughs> <laughs> so am i so am Yay. i often often mineral-based negativity can just grow and grow um, yeah. but today today we've managed to yeah we've pulled um, it back to, to flip it which is great um well and, and what i you know what are three worthwhile things that would it all definitely improve i think the world of food if we got rid of too much salty stuff on sweet things mm-hmm. too much sea salt very specifically mm. salt on things okay that's good the other time just briefly to revive the subject i like a little bit of salt and pepper on my salad you know mm. whatever that is whether it's a slaw or a raised vegetable salad or a leafy salad even you know a bit of chopped up lettuce from the shop i like a bit of salt on there but i don't like a sort of gritty texture so i get a bit no. annoyed when chefs use the sort of final finishing gritty flaky salt and they put it on a on a salad unless it's already got the caveat would be unless it's already got something else crunchy on it so if it's got like croutons or little crispy bits of um yes then it's fine because it matches the texture of the, yeah 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 God, we're fussy, aren't we? We are I think... fussy. We well, see. I would take it further and say that I don't put. Um, well, depending on if it's a green salad, I wouldn't put salt and pepper on a green salad. I'd put it in the dressing, and and that would be the seasoning. Ah, uh, but I can't. You see, no. There's a specific reason that I can't do that. The reason that I can't do that is that um, my dearly beloved likes a lot of salad dressing, and I'm I'm more of a you know, scantily clad right. guy. Right, I see. So you need to pep it up with with the yeah. with the extra yeah. with extra yeah. seasoning. Yeah, which brings me back to the point I've always made, which is um, a lot of chefs get huffy about putting salt and pepper pots on the table. Mm. But I think you know, get over yourselves. Mm. <laughs> Everyone likes a little. You know, I might want to twist more pepper here, a sprinkle more salt there. Mm. It's got nothing to do with you, big chops in the kitchen. Shut, yeah. your, shut your mouth and cook the steak, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm sure I'm equally as guilty of having ranted about people overseasoning things in the restaurant. <laughs> do, do you like things with these tastes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I get older and change my mind, it would appear that I'm, I wasn't as perfect as I thought I was. Um, none of us, sadly, are. Uh, okay. Well, that that's sort of that's that's nailed the middle section of the Madam's cast. Really. And nice. do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to um, after this conversation, I'm going to spend the rest of the week thinking. Oh no, I know what really annoys me. Oh no, I know what I change. Oh no, I know what doesn't work. <laughs> well, it's okay. We'll have you back on as a ghost uh, caster. I'll come back um, in a year and uh, and I'll update you on the on the. <laughs> 
let's see if we've got, see how much further we've got. And, and news just in, Lucy Brazier has been arrested for, uh, <laughs> for automatically seasoning her food in the restaurant, charging £800 for a slice of coffee. Yes. <laughs> um, Marvellous. Um, oh, Lucy, I've had such a nice time chatting to you. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, I'm sure that um, we will talk again soon. But before we get, you know, to the very end of the Madam's cast, and we say a fond farewell and a teary cheerio to each other down the fathomless uh, ends of the internet, I would like you to perform three more tasks for me. Can you remember what they are? I can. Sorry. Yes. No, no, no. I like it. I like a pregnant pause. That's I good. Can. So but also, so, what I was doing was was just I was just having a I was just having one of those moments which I do when I pick up a menu and I order and then I suddenly think, oh, hang on, was that the right <laughs> thing to do? And I've just looked at my list and I think, hang on, is that the right choice? <laughs> but it okay. is. I'm happy with it. <clears throat> I'm happy with it. Well, we're going to be clear here. There's a couple of things you can't do. All right, you can't list a whole, like, particularly when we get to choosing our book, we can't list a whole load of books we'd like to choose. No, okay. And then then choose one. You can have a couple that you might have had as close contenders, but I quite often get people try and get that past me where they're, you know, oh, here's a list of 48 books um, that I can't choose. Yes, no, you're one. absolutely right. It has so to you're be. You're only allowed one book, okay. one drink. And uh, I think I've got a sneaky suspicion I know what that's going to be. Yeah. And, um, and of course, you get to nominate somebody else to come and take part in the Madam's cast. Now they don't—they don't have to. It's not a contractual thing. Uh, we don't turn up in a black van at gunpoint with gaffer tape and drag people off. It's not it's just purely. You should purely, though. You should because that well, would be great publicity. Oh, the publicity is a double-edged sword, isn't it? I, I, you know, goodness, uh, mm. I, I'm not sure I want anyone, you know, going too carefully through my podcast. They might find all the mistakes in the bad editing. <laughs> <laughs> my propensity to talk about myself and make it all about me. Um, uh, but no, surely no one's noticed that. So um, without further ado, uh, let's, let's, let's hear uh, your book, your Desert Island food book, and what you'd have to drink while you were reading it. So uh, my Desert Island food book would have to be um, Nigel Slater's first Kitchen Diaries. Um, Did he call it that? Uh, it's called Kitchen Diaries Volume oh, 1, I, I was going to say it. <laughs> so he did know he was going to do Volume 2. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, uh, I can't see it from where I'm sitting. Um, I don't, okay. I'm don't. i not sure, actually. But it is. It, it, it was... Um, I remember when it came out and, and I was still living in London and I was so excited by the recipes and the accessibility of it but I've always chosen cookbooks because of the writing first and not the recipes and and his was exactly that that I felt that I could pick it up and I could follow his year and I could cook the things that he cooked and um and I could I and they were delicious and it, it and the writing is absolutely beautiful obviously you know he's amazing so that for me um would have to be and also if i'm on a desert island i'd like to be transported to nigel Slater's kitchen uh hold on i haven't offered you some magic teleportation <laughs> no but in reading the book it would transport me to oh yeah kitchen. yeah yeah no, okay i'll give you all the british seasons so if i was somewhere very hot and uh i would i would feel that i could follow the the seasonal year um with this book as well so nice nice 
Yeah, I get that. It's a nice thing, isn't it? That I, you sometimes get captured by. Oh, I'm gonna. I was. It happened to me last year again. I was. Uh, it was some enforced reading for um, for for some judging. Um, I don't know why everyone thinks I was so judgmental, but anyway, <laughs> I was doing it, and it was the first time I think in the history of me reading food books that one had brought me to like the introduction brought me to tears. Um, and not yet, not tears of oh my god, I've got to read more of this book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but, but you know, genu- genuinely, like, sort of, oh my goodness, the emotional burden of this introduction is yeah. is, is immense. Um, Which so, book was it? Are you allowed to say or not? Oh yeah, no, I think it's all that. Oh, the powder's no longer dry on that one. It was Midnight Ki- Midnight Chicken by yes. um, Ella Risbridger. Yeah, very, very good. Um, yeah. but I enjoyed the book actually. Quite like the 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 angle. She's got an interesting. Yes, view I, it was. It, I thought it was. I I thought it was fantastic again because the write the recipes were um, were great, but the writing really made me want to want to cook the recipes. Yeah. So that I think is the the cleverest. Um, Diana Henry makes me feel the same way. Yeah, she's see, uh, I feel about Diana Henry the way that you feel about Nigel Slater. Like, I honestly, Nigel Slater, I love his food, but I could take or leave his books, no drama. Uh, not, not a massive fan of, of him, but um, Diana Henry definitely all over that. Yeah, I think she's she's an incredible writer, and her and her food. You know, I love the way that she tests and she. Um, creates and she thinks and she shares it and she's got this amazing generosity and her you know her instagram is a recipe a day and and so um so encouraging as well the way that she that she shares her knowledge so um it's that was what i was just debating was whether to was whether to take nigel or diana with me well, I think um, you've gone with Nigel. I think you've gone with I've Nigel. I've gone with Nigel for the seasonal yeah. diary aspects as well. Okay. And, That's um, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. Well, you know, we're not judgmental here. Well, that's not true, actually. We're massively <laughs> judgmental here at the Madam's Cast, but not about this. You're entirely uh, welcome to, 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 to take Nigel with you. And I will look up Kitchen Diaries, brackets, volume one. Um, I think I might have it somewhere. I'll go and have a little, another little scratch yeah. through that. Because I think... Mm. The interesting thing is that as you change, you can revisit works that you've read before and find new and interesting things in them mm. uh, and take more, you know, take a different thing from the book than you took from it before. It's almost like having a new book when you put it away on the shelf for three or four years and then yes. pick it up again when you've changed a bit. It can yeah. be quite, quite cool. Um, which uh, <clears throat> I can't imagine that anyone will want to wait three years before reading Christmas at River Cottage, though no. uh, I, I suggest that they get get straight on with that right I mean, now. It's certainly just... a particular time to read it. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and and gift it. I mean, right now, I mean, this would be perfect gifting uh, material. I'd suggest, um, although possibly don't send it to Nigel Slater. Um, no, no, got... but um, I think it's yeah. I think it would be uh, well. I think it would be lovely for for. Um, every single person in the country to buy it and and beyond our shores it's an overused phrase but this is actually a gift that will keep on giving yes it is so i can see why you haven't put that as the subtitle well also I can see why the other one i the other one i hate and love is that you know it's not just for christmas 
Which is, the, which is so Christmas, over you. Christmas wasn't just. It was about a baby being persecuted by an evil king. <laughs> There's never been any justice in Christmas. Um, so, yeah, that's, a, that's an overused. Um, that's an overused. Um, and who are you going to nominate? Sorry? Who are you going to nominate? Uh, Alive, dead, real, fictitious. Oh. Who, who, my, who are you oh, going well, ele- to burden? I'm going to nominate Elizabeth Luard. Um, oh, she, Elizabeth wrote. Uh, she's a food writer. Yes, and yeah, she wrote a book that I read years ago, which was a sort of memoir with with a few recipes in it, and it was called um, Family Life, Birth, Death, and the Whole Damn Thing. She writes beautifully about her life, about her family, her tra- the travels, um, the the tragedies, and and then includes these recipes that sort of sum up times of her life and I mean she's she's had written lots of cookbooks and mm, and I've very I've, famous uh, very famous and I've, I've got a couple of hers and she's in sort of ensconced in somewhere gorgeous in Wales and um uh I I I love her writing and I I think it's fantastic but this book particularly um that I read it at quite an important point of my life I think when I was just starting to have a family and um and think about how to feed children and how to and and also the life choices you make of of traveling and moving house and and leaving areas and you know how that it impacts on them as well so um I think she would be an amazing guest for you to have on your podcast and uh, I think she'd answer all these questions so much better than I did (laughs) (laughs) well I think you know, there's um, there's something in all of us that uh, that sort of makes us think that everybody else out there that's doing what we do is so much better and more valid and and far more useful at it and much more interesting. Um, and you know, I have to say, having having had a good read of Christmas at River Cottage, don't sell yourself short, Lucy. Very nice book, and I'm the world world's worst person. Uh, for taking compliments or praise, I hate it. So um, I know how uncomfortable that can make people. But uh, you know, I'm going to make you marginally uncomfortable by saying that I think you know that is a that is a book that's very comfortable amongst its peers on my bookshelf. Oh, sure. thank you, thank um, you. Yeah, no, no worries at all. So, uh, so, but I do feel that Elizabeth Luard may well have to be a chloroform in the back of the van job. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I not sure she'll. I think not sure she'll be signing up. I think she likes, you know, she she hangs out at her kitchen table a lot, and I think this would, you know, this would be a, this would be, a, a, you know, she'd put the kettle on, she put the kettle on the arger, and uh, she'd have fed the chickens, and she'd have gone and uh, cut some kale, and she'll she'd be able to, I'm sure she'd be able to give you, give you a, an hour of her time. Excellent. Well, I mean, I'm going to begin digitally stalking her in the <laughs> Uh, to see if we can make that happen Uh, but in the meantime I'm going to have great fun uh, whizzing this one together through the magic of post-production into something that sounds almost identical to the actual live conversation Um, and and, and flinging it up for everyone to listen to um, uh, because I've had such a lovely hour chatting with you Um, I hope everybody out there has enjoyed uh, this episode of the the Madam's Cast and that whilst you've been listening you've already ordered uh, a, a copy <laughs> of, of Lucy's brilliant book. And <clears throat> Lucy, I hope you have 
I mean, it's a bit early for wishing people Merry Christmas, but I'm going to wish it to you anyway. I think I, I can tell from, you. that you're going to have a great Christmas, I, I, but I want I, you to enjoy it on the way. Thank you. I really hope you do as well. I think we all need we all need a, a good Christmas this year. I think we all slightly missed out last year, and I think it would be yeah. I think it's an it's a it it's a lovely one to to have ahead of us. So um, so I wish you a Merry Christmas back, and to all your lovely listeners as well. And thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure, Lucy. Lovely. Right, well, cheerio. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim.